The reading is taken from Revelation 2, verses 18 to 29, and can be found on page 1235 in the Church Bibles. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold of her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hello, my name is Ellie Freeman, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm on the student team here at HT. And I'm just going to pray for us as we begin uh, today. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together in the center of this city, God, freely to, to open it and to think about how we can apply it to our lives. And Lord Jesus, we want to pray that you'd open our eyes to see what you want us to see and our ears to hear what you want us to hear today. God, that we might not miss out on anything that you would want to give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder if any of you recognize this. Hands up if anybody has ever owned or played with a Skelextrix track. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was a very popular toy in the Freeman household growing up. Um, and for those of you who haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, um, Skelextrix is awesome. <laughs> you have these black pieces of track that you put together in whatever kind of shape of course you want. This one is actually pretty boring, um, but there we go. That's what I could find. Um, and then you would get these little cars which you'd put on the track, and then you would control them with a little throttle, as seen in the picture. The cars would then zoom round and round the track 
And we had so much fun growing up as children, setting up all kinds of different courses and then racing one another. But every so often, if something got onto the track, if you pressed your throttle a little bit too hard, or if the cat put its paw out, which used to happen in our house, your car would go flying off the track across the kitchen floor and you would be out of the race. And then the other person, which was usually my brother, uh, would get the victory. And you may be wondering why on earth I'm talking to you about Skelextrix when I'm meant to be talking to you about Revelation. Well, you'll be pleased to know this morning we are continuing our series looking at the seven churches in Revelation. But I want to start by reminding us this morning why it is that these letters were written. Because in lots of ways, unlike me with my poor Skelextrix skills, these guys were navigating the course very well. They were flying round the track. And most of the letters start with a word of encouragement as their strengths are called out and celebrated. But Jesus knows that there is something going on in each one of these churches that has the potential to knock them off course. Something that, if not addressed, will cause them, like my Scalextrix car, to go flying off the track. And so through John, Jesus is writing to tell them what these areas are. Because you see, the enemy was hard at work trying to knock this fledgling community of believers off course before they'd really even got started through physical persecution, through intellectual confusion, and through immorality. But Jesus is longing for them to stay on the track. And this is why these letters were written and whilst, as you may have noticed, there isn't a letter directly addressed to the angel of the church in Cambridge, we've got to be aware this morning that the enemy's tactics have not changed. The same pressures facing the church today were the same as they were back then. And we can learn a huge amount from these letters, not just about how the church of Thyatira stayed on track, but how we can stay on track too. And this morning we are looking at the church of Thyatira, and I've got a little map here, um, not that, um, a little map here, um, and you can see, so there is Patmos where John was exiled, and he was, uh, these letters, he had this vision from, from God, and these letters were then written and sent out to these different places. And if you've been here over the last few weeks, um, you'll have seen that we have, we have already visited Ephesus. We've um, come to see what their letter was about, and Smyrna and Pergamum last week. And then this week, uh, we're moving on to the church at Thyatira to look at what it is that Jesus has to say to them. Thyatira was the smallest of the seven cities, and it was a prosperous trading center. Thyatira was famous for its trade guilds, which were a little bit like trade unions today. And the local deity uh, was Apollo Tyrimnaeus. I've probably pronounced that entirely wrong, but he was the patron's uh, deity of the bronze trade. And it's very likely that the church in Thyatira started when a dealer in purple cloth, a trade dealer called Lydia, 
went across to Philippi and she met Paul and Silas. And we read the story in Acts 16 of how she was there praying and they came and found her and they led her to Jesus. And the chances are she took her newfound faith back to Thyatira and this um, church began. And by this point, it was a prosperous and thriving community. We read how the church in Thyatira is commended for its love, faith, service, and perseverance. We read how they are doing more than they did at first. It is a growing church. The love which was missing at the church in Ephesus is found here in Thyatira. The faith which was being called into question through false teaching in Pergamum is being celebrated in Thyatira. For these guys, growth was really important. They didn't want to stay as they were, and they were not stagnant community. Where Ephesus was challenged for backsliding, Thyatira is being championed for how well they are moving forward. The church is alive and well. They are speeding around the track, and there is a lot to celebrate. But... Despite being the smallest of the seven churches that we read about in Revelation, this is the longest letter, and there is a pretty hefty challenge within it. And this morning, I want us to have a look at what it is that Jesus wants the church of Thyatira to hear. What is it that has the potential to knock them and us off track? And I want to start by looking at the challenge, at the challenge. I'm going to read verses 20 to 23 again, because I think they say it pretty clearly. But I want to say that when I first read this, and as I've been reading it over the last few weeks, it is a pretty hard-hitting few verses. Jesus doesn't hold anything back as he tells them what it is he has against them. But let's read it together. Verses 20 to 23. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways." I will strike her children dead, and then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. It is pretty hard-hitting, eh? But I just want to tell us a little bit about the situation that was going on in Thyatira at the time. It was, as I said, a prosperous trading center, and it was particularly famous for its work with copper and bronze. And that may well explain the choice of language used to describe Jesus in verse 18, as we're told that he had eyes like blazing fire and feet like burnished bronze. And each of the trades in Thyatira had this trade guild, like a trade union, and each one would have had a patron god. And the thing was about that, those unions, if you wanted to be successful, if you wanted to gain reputation, if you wanted to do well in business, you had to be part of one of these. 
And so if you refused to bow down to their gods, if you refused to take part in the things that were going on, then it cost you big time. And so the pressure upon everybody to conform and buy into that part of the culture was huge. And that was no different for this fledgling community of Christians that were forming in Thyatira. The pressure to buy into the culture around them was huge. And in the previous letter to Pergamum, the problem in the church was identified by alluding to a famous biblical character, Balaam the prophet. And in the letter to Thyatira, another ancient villain plays the same role as we're told about the practices of Jezebel. When they read that name, they would have immediately thought of Jezebel in the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Kings, who marries King Ahab and leads the whole nation of Israel off track. She encourages them to stop worshipping Yahweh and start bowing down to idols. And we're told in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 33, that alongside Jezebel, King Ahab did more to anger God than any of all the kings of Israel before him. That is a pretty serious accusation. That is a pretty serious accusation. And I imagine that the name Jezebel is probably still not going to be on the top kind of biblical names anytime soon when people are coming to name their children. (laughs) But now in Thyatira, this prophetess Jezebel was walking in the footsteps of her predecessor. She'd taken advantage of the culture that was going on in Thyatira and was basically teaching those who would listen that what they did did not matter. She taught that it was okay to conform to the culture, that it did not matter if you joined in with the pagan feasts of the trade guild for the sake of business. It did not matter if you responded to your sexual desires, even if that meant sleeping with temple prostitutes. Because for Jezebel and those who would follow her, behavior and belief were two completely separate things. And slowly but surely, the distinctiveness, the set-apartness, the holiness of the church in Thyatira was being crowded out. The problem for this church was not a lack of love. It wasn't suffering or a lack of faith, but a lack of holiness. This temptation to conform, to buy into the culture and to compromise. The teaching of Jezebel, which said that it was okay to have a foot in both camps, that belief didn't have to affect behavior, seemed a lot easier to swallow than the call to be set apart for Jesus. And so some have begun to swallow it. And a little bit like the bindweed, which sadly has taken over my garden here in Cambridge, this teaching of Jezebel was creeping into the Thyatiran church, and they'd started to compromise who they were. This is what Jesus is challenging them to address. This is what has got to change if they are going to stay on the tracks And our situation today is very different from the situation these guys were in. I am not, you'll be pleased to hear, being regularly forced to go to pagan festivals as part of my job. 
But this challenge is as relevant to us today as it was to these guys. Yes, things may look different on the outside, but the temptation to conform, to compromise, to buy into the culture, and to separate belief from behavior is as real today as it was back then. It's as real today as it was back then. And maybe this morning, we just need to be reminded of who it is that we are as followers of Jesus. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, which reminds us of this, is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, which says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. If we have chosen to follow Jesus this morning, this is who we are. This is our team kit. And you know, I really don't know very much about football, and I really won't be watching a huge amount of the World Cup over the coming weeks. I may watch the old England game, and maybe even Germany, as they are the team I have in the Staff World Cup sweepstake, which I felt I got quite lucky there. Um, I didn't really realize how good they were until somebody told me. Uh, but one thing that I do know about football, the one thing I do know <laughs> is that when you play a game, you've got to play in your team's kit. You are not going to be finding any England players running onto the pitch over the next few weeks wearing a French shirt. If you sign for a team, you wear the kit of that team. You don't just stick on what you want depending on the mood you're in. And as children of God, we have been called out of darkness into wonderful light. And now we're part of a new team. We're part of his team. And we've got to start playing by his rules. But I think that so often, whilst we might know that we are playing for a new team, we try to keep our old kit on. And this is what Jesus is challenging us on through this letter this morning. Like I said, we may not be tempted to eat food sacrificed to idols or have sex with temple prostitutes and attend crazy pagan festivals, but I'm sure all of us have areas of our life where we are tempted to compromise our faith, where we are tempted to buy into the culture and the pressure to conform feels at times to be overwhelming. And those things are going to be different for all of us. But here's a few thoughts that came to my mind. You know, maybe it's in the whole area of relationships. We may know that God has given us sex to enjoy within the context of marriage. But maybe we find ourselves pushing boundaries because that is what everybody else is doing. And they're called a weight that seems too hard. Maybe we're in a relationship that we know bit by bit is pulling us away from God. But it's too difficult to let go. Maybe it's work. Maybe there's a situation going on at work or, or a situation we constantly find ourselves in where telling the truth and being honest is going to be costly. Maybe everybody around us is slightly bending the truth to get their way, 
to make that break, to, to, to make the money that they're trying to make. And so bit by bit, the temptation to join in and live that same way is all too strong. Or maybe it's an addiction or a habit or a pattern of behavior which is pulling us away from God, but we think, well, it's not harming anyone else, so surely it doesn't matter. It's going to look different to all of us, but I think it's something probably we can all relate to. And slowly but surely, like the church in Thyatira, we start to separate belief from behavior, who we are from what we do. And as Tom Wright puts it, when he's describing the situation in Thyatira, as far as Jesus is concerned, this whole approach is an absolute disaster. As far as Jesus is concerned, this whole approach is an absolute disaster. Because although we may think that no one sees, and as hard as it is to read these verses that we have in front of us today, we are reminded In verses 18 and 23, that God does see. He has eyes like blazing fire. We're told that he is the one who searches hearts and minds. How we live matters to him. And these verses make it pretty clear that there are consequences. Yes, they are symbolic and they are incredibly dramatic. But the point that is being made is that it reminds us that Jesus cares about how we live our lives and our belief and our behavior matter to him. This is the challenge that Jesus is putting to the church in Thyatira and to us this morning. But what I love is that he doesn't just save the challenge and then move on, move on to to the next church. He gives a call as well. He gives a challenge and he gives a call. I wonder if you spotted it in verse 25. As Jesus says to them, only hold on to what you have until I come. Only hold on to what you have until I come. You see, this is Jesus' call to the church in Thyatira and the church of HT. Don't give up. Don't give in. You may look around you and see the feasts and festivals that are going on. You may look over your shoulder and think and see people living lives which seem way easier, living in a way which seems on the surface to be freer. And maybe you sometimes even ask, is there any point to living this way? Life would be so much simpler, surely, if we just let go. If we just gave in, if we just gave up a little bit of ground, but Jesus is reminding us this morning to hold on. What you have in me, he says, is so much better than anything that this world could offer. Hold on, hold on. Maybe this morning you need that reminder, as I said earlier, of who we are, of what it is that you have been given, that we have been called out of darkness into light. Jesus is saying to us today, hold on to this truth. Don't go back into the darkness. You belong to him now. And I wonder if you noticed what he said in verse 24. I will not impose 
any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. You see, the call that Jesus sets before us is not about weighing us down with rules and regulations that will suck the life out of us and rob us of joy. Instead, he simply wants to encourage us to hold tight to what we have been given as children of God, to stay in the light and to stay close to him. I love what Jesus says in Matthew's gospel in chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for, my yoke, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And when Jesus is talking about yoke here, he's talking about his teaching. He's talking about his ways, his way of life. And as we walk in his ways, far from being burdened and weighed down, we will find rest and life. It's a song that we sing often here at HT. In your ways are life. Do we believe that today? Do we believe that today? Jezebel may not live in Cambridge, but there are so many voices around us that shout, if you do this, or if you have that, then you'll find life. But Jesus has said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. As we hold tight to him and walk in his ways, though those ways may look different to what everybody else is doing around us, we will get to experience fullness of life. We will get to experience fullness of life. And I was um, particularly struck once when I was in um, Chorley Woods by a guy that um, is, is a businessman who set up the toy chain, The Entertainer, which some of you may have heard of. Um, and this, this guy is a, is a Christian. Um, and he spoke about how when he'd set up his business, he felt that the Lord had called him to not open on a Sunday, which is pretty radical now, but I just came across this article in the Metro, which he gave um, last year when it was announced that the entertainer would remain shut on Christmas Eve because it was a Sunday. And this is what he wrote. We don't trade on Sundays, any Sundays of the year. And as the dates have fallen for the current year, we will be closed for what will be the second largest trading day of the year. As a Christian, I believe in families and just being around for children and grandchildren being able to have that day when we can meet together, we can eat together and stay together as a family, and I think it's very important. I know that if I do what I do with the right motive and with the right intention, that I can rely on the fact that God will honor that. In 95, when Sunday trading became legal, God challenged me, are you going to give up Sunday trading? And keeping the Sabbath holy was one of the Ten Commandments, and I felt I shouldn't be opening the doors on a Sunday. And for many of our 1,700 staff, they say the fact they can have a day off with the family on a Sunday is really important to them, regardless of what they believe. Whether or not we know Jesus, his ways bring life. The question is, are we going to trust him? That took courage to be the only shop that was shut on a Sunday. You go into the uh, Harlequin Center in Watford, and which is where I think the yeah, near where the first one was set up. And all the shops, I can remember going in there, and every shop would be, shut, would be open apart from the entertainer, which would be shut. That takes courage. 
choosing to be obedient to Jesus, choosing to walk in his ways and do what he's calling us to do isn't always going to be easy. It's not always easy to hold on and do something different to everybody else. But when we know Jesus, when we know the one that we are running after, it starts to become possible. That is what made it possible for that businessman. And as we seek to respond to this call to hold on, Jesus has got to be our motivation. It's a desire to be like him that motivates us. I grew up um, doing ballet right from when I was really tiny all the way through. And when I was little, the thing that motivated me to go week in, week out were the big girls in our dance school, the senior students, particularly one girl called Annabelle. I loved Annabelle. I thought she was amazing. I looked up to her so much. I wanted to be as good as her. I wanted to be able to point my toes as well as Annabelle did. I wanted to be able to jump as high as Annabelle did. I talked about Annabelle all the time. And so I went week in, week out, hair tied up in a bun, leggings and leotard on, ballet shoes, uh, beautifully clean, because I wanted to be like Annabelle. I was never motivated by the Royal Academy of Dance syllabus, as comprehensive as it was. I was not motivated by learning the moves and memorizing them in my head. I was motivated by the fact that I wanted to be as good as her. She was my motivation. And in the same way, if we are going to hold on to what we have in Jesus, we've got to keep our eyes on him, the one that we are running after. We've got to keep coming to him. He is our motivation. You see, this call to holiness, this call to be set apart and distinctive is about becoming like the one who is holy. And as we do, we find in this passage two promises for those who overcome. And the first is of authority that we will one day get to share in Christ's authority and reign with him. Yes, choosing to live for him may cost us in some way in this life. Yes, it may not always be easy. And it may not always mean that we come out on top. But we know that one day we will reign with him. And it will be worth it. And the second thing he promises is the morning star. And in Revelation 22:16, Jesus describes himself as the bright morning star. So by promising them this, he is promising to give those who remain faithful to those who hold on himself. There is a reward for those who remain faithful, for those who hold on. And maybe this morning you need to be reminded of that. Maybe you've been a Christian for years, but you're starting to get tired. And you're starting to wonder whether it's all really worth it. And the temptation to give up feels very real today. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus because he is worth it. Maybe you're about to leave Cambridge uh, for the summer or to move on to new things. I know there's a bunch of students that are going to be graduating very soon and moving on. And if that is you, as you go, choose to stay close to Jesus, to hold on to him. Resolve to do that now, to grab hold of him with both hands and not let go, because he is worth it. 
Maybe there's something in your life which is knocking you off track. Maybe a relationship, an addiction, a habit, a friendship even. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to him. And sometimes trying to hold on can be really hard. No matter how determined we are, no matter how much we want to give it our all or really want to do things his way. In last summer, I went uh, bouldering, <laughs> and it's the first and last time I've ever done it. And I tried, I was climbing up these things, I couldn't move about a week afterwards, and I was climbing up, um, and I was desperately trying to hold on, but there was a couple of them I just could not do, no matter how hard I tried. But then I decided to ask for help, <laughs> and the instructor showed me, and he showed me a route up this thing which I didn't even realize was possible, and it was possible, and I did it. But I needed his help. You know, Jesus doesn't just say, hold on. But he says he'll help us. He has given us help. He has given us himself. He has given us the Holy Spirit to live in us and help us to do this. Often we think about the Holy Spirit giving us gifts, helping us to experience God's love. And he does all those things. But I think we can often forget that one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to make us holy to help us live in a way which reflects who we are, that our behavior and our belief might line up. So as we seek to stay on track, as we seek to hold onto him with both hands, we can ask for his help. And we're going to do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this, this call that, that you have given us to hold on. And Lord Jesus, we recognize that we need your help. God, we know that there are areas in our lives where we are tempted to conform, and that challenge that you set before us feels real today. And God, we pray that you would help us to identify those things which have the potential to knock us off course. God, that we might remain faithful to you. God, would you help us to run this race and to finish well. Lord, I pray that even over the coming days that you would be helping us to call to mind, God, those things that are getting in the way, to bring them into your marvelous light. God, that we might be free to, 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 to run this race all out for you. In Jesus' name, amen.